Merritt has lived with cystic fibrosis his entire life. The challenges and hardship he has had to overcome just to survive gives each of us a new understanding of Paul's motto, which is, never let your obstacles become your boundaries. You are going to love this interview today with Paul Merritt. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Grant. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. To know we are abundantly more than just a diagnosis and able to go beyond the very boundaries we set upon ourselves. A call definitely to never ever give up hope. That is a quote that Paul Merritt sent me when I asked him to be on Never Ever Give Up Hope. And I love the way he referred to the show in that quote. To help us understand you more, Paul, can you share some of the challenges that you have had to face your entire life? Yes, Carol. Um, I've mentioned uh, I've lived with cystic fibrosis. So that's that's been the majority uh, of, of my challenge uh, and challenges. And so living with it, you know, for those that may or may not know about it, it's a mm-hmm. it's a genetic disease that you're born with and you're inherited from both parents. So each parent has to have a genetic mutation to for a child to have it. I, I have an older brother that uh, does not have it. So uh, I was the fortunate one of us too to, to have that. But uh, even though all the aspects of it, the challenges, the, the hardships of it with it, um, with it affecting the lungs, the digestive system, um, and if it's just a multi-organ system disease. Um, there, there's been a lot more public, um, um, there's been a lot more public uh, like movies and, and just education about it lately in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, like the movie, the movie um, Five Feet Apart. That's based oh, off yes. of cystic fibrosis. Um, so that that's that's a very uh, big movie. There's there's been others before it that were just you know less less popular, I guess, but. Uh, in the last few years, uh, Heather Kingsbury is an author. She writes uh, a book about uh, a, a child, a, a kid that's does um, rodeo, that a girl does rodeo, and it's just about her and her life with CF. So there's been plenty of, out there that's that's happened, and it's just uh, in the public eye that's kind of made awareness or more so. Can I ask, interrupt but, you for just a moment and ask you, is it strictly genetic? Yes. Yes, it is strictly genetic. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes, it it affects uh, a little over thirty thousand in the U.S. Um, it's considered like for so long it took to to get strides in in 
medicine and development to treat it um, because it is like an, considered an orphan disease. So it, it, it affecting such a small amount of people, it, de- it never got money from like government funding to help research. So the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is, is one of the biggest contributors to CF research. Mm. And, and so it's taken years um, starting back in 2000 with kind of the completion of the Human Genome Project and getting the, the map of, of the human gene uh, has was like one of the first steps where we knew um, with Francis Collins as being part of one of those. And he's he's a big advocate for CF as well. But that was kind of the first stages of, of going along with with being able to start and find really good treatment measures, because before then, I mean, um, like when I was born in 86, uh, you was told that, well, he's not going to likely live to be a teenager, if that, you know, 12 years old, maybe. Uh, very, very few children born with it in the early 80s and things like that. And years ago, you didn't make it to adolescence hardly because of it. So uh, the, the amount of medicine that has come along just over the years for that. But from the beginning, it's been a challenge even even then, you know, being a kid, we, of course, we had very little, we had very little treatments. Um, I, I and my treatment was uh, a nebulizer breathing treatment. That was like one of the main things. And I did them every day, three or four times a day. And then I took enzymes to help supplement the pancreatic issues that would come up with it. So oh, to any time I eat, every time I eat, when I was a baby, family would, um, I, it was kind of, there, there was perks to it. I will say that because I'd have to take these enzymes anytime I'd eat anything. But as a kid, one of the fun parts of it was they had to get opened up because I was too small to swallow a capsule. Uh-huh. So I'd get applesauce or some kind of ice cream or something before I'd get to eat a meal. <laughs> so, so I always looked at it. Hey, that was an advantage, even uh, though I had to deal with all this. Uh, uh, it means I got kind of, uh, I guess, maybe spoiled with getting dessert before dinner. Kind of thing sometimes. <laughs> Good way to look at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it still it still had its many challenges with um, the lungs, which are the main aspect that, that are affected um, causes multiple, multiple infections in the lungs um and so that's that's where the treatments where you end up going in the hospital um with uh two at least a minimum of two weeks of uh, iv antibiotics um and it was just it was just a standard on a, in a daily life of a CF patient. So it, it was always something whenever uh, flu season would come around because you know now with, with all the COVID stuff it's been like well now a lot of people around kind of see what I've had to deal with really my whole life with the mm. mask wearing and the concern of, of just general flu. I, I've had to worry about those things. And many, many times mm-hmm. if I would catch mm-hmm. it, you land in the hospital for you know a, a two-week regimen of antibiotics typically. Um, so just that's just kind of the beginning of challenges that it presents. Just in the beginning when I was a kid, it was like that. And I spent many, many days in the hospital and almost got to know hospital staff and nurses just as much and and as close as family. So what did you learn through this? You know, as a kid, I really, I I never felt like it was a burden. I I don't know why. Um, I I knew there were challenges, but I, I always felt like I learned so much from just feeling, honestly, feeling different. Um, cause I did, I mean, as a kid mm. at school, I went to the nurse before I went to lunch cause I had to go take my medicine and it, it kind of put me in a, um, 
sometimes awkward feeling position of, of feeling so different and, and and what that does to when you're an adolescent and a kid, yes, yes. you know, you, you, you almost looked upon, you're like, I, I feel like I'm, I know I'm different. So it's, it's almost a negative thing that's looked upon, but I learned to be able to embrace those things over time. Um, wow. I wasn't good at it at first. Uh, it was always something for a long time that I hid. Um, you know, nobody, I would, I would not talk about it. I, I didn't bring it up. I, I wasn't open about it, but I, over time I learned that that difference kind of really gave me an ability to show through, through the things I would do. Like as a kid, I, I love baseball. Baseball was my life. I played little league. I, I, that was my thing. Uh, I was, uh, with CF, you don't tend to, uh, get the nutrients and you don't grow as, as fast. So I was a really small child, very uh-huh, small. Uh-huh. Um, but I played little league with, you know, everybody else. And, and I was so much smaller than everybody else. Everybody else almost looked like giants, but through, th- even though I was so small and things like that, and the sports I would play, I gained their respect because I still was able to perform as good, oh, if great. not better than many. Oh. So uh, I, I learned to embrace those things, those challenges through through going along and, and not letting my my illness, my disease uh, prevent me from from doing the best I could. And 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 I made sure every time I went and played a baseball game, I played basketball or something like that, like it, it was it was a love of the game thing for me. It was it was never uh, uh, well. I feel like I have to to prove people wrong because I'm so small. It was just I love the game, and and I think I was uh, in many many ways blessed to be able to see things differently than than everybody else through that same eye, uh, those same those same eyes of everybody else who didn't have to deal with those things that I did on on a all the time there was there was a time when I was a kid during one of our tournaments at the end of the season I ended up in the hospital and I was so upset and I was on home IVs I told mom and dad I said hey I said I want to play in our tournament it's our last few games of the year we wasn't a great good we wasn't very good (laughs) so I didn't think we'd go very far (laughs) in the tournament but to me it was important yes I I, I was at home and I had I had a had IV in my arm because I'd get um my antibiotics at home at that and I said I want to take out my IV and go play my game and they let me do that they they was they they uh, was okay with me uh, taking my IV out even though they told me hey you know we do this we have to call the nurse and they're just going to come out and you have to get poked again well that's that's another thing of CF when you Uh. get jabs and pokes and it's it's a constant revolving or turning door of of just pokes and labs and things and I said that's okay I want to go play my game. I went and played the game. Uh, we didn't win, but I, I pitched that game even. So, And then later that night the afterwards, or maybe I think the next morning because uh, it was a little late. I don't remember exactly, but when nurse to come out and I had to get a new IV and restart my antibiotics. But I did not want to miss that game. And so um, those kind of things, that I, though I knew to participate in that game, knew well a little bit of pain or something was going to come later and so i i, I mean i i embraced that and I, I i had this sense of not letting anything stop me from doing anything so that was a big part of uh, of as i grow grew older and started to embrace those things more and more um and, and i never was real great comfortably with telling people about my uh, illness i didn't make it at the forefront of me um uh-huh. and, yes and and because I, I didn't want that to be, you know, I guess as a kid, I was like, well, 
I don't want that to be known. Hey, that's the kid with cystic fibrosis. <laughs> Even though later on, I mean, there's many that knew about it. Um, like when I was in high school, you know, m- many knew about it. But uh-huh. you know, we, we we was friends and 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 all that, and nothing. You know, it was never. They were. I had great friends in school, and and they were just. They they knew that and they knew things that I didn't realize they knew, but it, it was never made at, at the forefront as I was labeled as just that kind of person, that just somebody with a disease. Because the many things I did definitely would show different because many wouldn't believe I'd be able to do some of the things I did because of I, me having disease. So it almost felt like I was, I was able to you know, inspire others by showing that. I mean, because many of my, my best friend in Little League, we was attached to the hip me and my uh, um me and my friend monty and I me mean, we were best friends all them years and he was I, I i think he was probably two foot taller than me and it but we you know <laughs> he, he had my respect and i had his because we were just that way um and he and he realized and many others knew that i i wasn't going to let cf stop me from doing those things and, and providing uh, uh, an inspiration or preventing me from anything so you had a determination now do you think that that was something that your parents taught you or were you just born with that like this innate determination to not necessarily succeed I mean a determination to live period yeah yeah no um honestly no no I don't think it was taught in me I I think it's been there from my beginning um and later on I give credit then now I and and the future I mean I've, I give my credit to God because that's where I believe um, he gave me that ability now I, I'm nothing special obviously uh, but that determination it was always there it's not something I picked up but it's it's also something I, I looked for in, in other places too um, <clears throat> as cliche as it may be you know um, a movie uh, that that you see about a scenario where a person's you know get all the odds stacked against him and they overcome um, with any sports movie or any I like that you know, I, I looked for those inspirations too and, and those kind of things I mean and yes inspired me I mean so I figured if anything when I would see a movie or see something like that close to it and you know, it's like I see they can do it. I know I can do that. I, and I had that determination. And I believe it's always been there. It's never something I, I f- was really just taught by any individual. But I also looked for inspiration in many places too, to to draw that same inspiration from. So I, I could go out and try to do that same thing, to mimic that. Well, what you feed will grow. Yes. And that was yes, your exactly. attitude, you know, and what you don't feed will die. And obviously you were you were feeding your faith, your determination, your belief structure, and that grew. And that has probably sustained you even more than you'll probably ever know. I I agree with that statement 100% because there are times where I'm like, there's no way I can get through this or there's no way I can deal with another round of of hospital stay or another negative thing coming from a doctor, another uh, thing, you know, that, that just felt like it's going to knock me down and then that final now I can't get back up it, I did I was able to sustain it somehow and 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 the only way now my, my all, all my credit goes to the Lord for that well now many people have faced adversity and I think as you mentioned earlier because of COVID many more are facing it that possibly did not have to before so what can you share as some of the keys to getting over adversity in your life knowing that when you get to a point 
to where you don't know where to go, where to look, or um, if you're at that point of, I've had enough of giving up. There are plenty of plenty resources, and mine was always, and more so as I got older, but always uh, looking to others to kind of help, um, not so much be the only um, support, but when you surround yourself with those that are supporting you and, and know what you're going through, because Believe it or not, when you're in those scenarios, those people that are around you that aren't facing those but are seeing you go through them will see you as a a such a hugely strong individual, and and, and they they know that you you have an ability and a power beyond what most others will even ever experience. So, uh, they they see you as strong, and, and I think adversities that we face with COVID, you know, because it's in such a mainstream in everybody's mind in the last two years, um, and with all the uptakes here recently, uh, I mean, it's in my mind all the time, um, and I worry about that where I'm at today. You know, I've been fortunate enough to not get it um, somehow, and I've been one of those out in the field, but when when you have those that are facing those and you find yourself there with, with the Lord and Scripture and faith, but when hugely in faith, no matter what, if it's – I mean, faith doesn't just have to be in, in just in God. You have to have the faith in yourself as well. Um, I, I draw a lot of faith from the Lord for it, and, and I, I pray whenever I get to those points, but I also feel that there are others around us that, that will carry that faith for us whenever we're that low and we feel like we can't stand and keep carrying the burdens that are on our shoulders. There's many days I've felt that way, and, and somehow, some way, something – and I think it's I think those are through the Lord where everything that we we encounter and those that come around us and everything's for a reason for because it says there's a time for everything. You know, there's a time to reap, there's a time to sow, like scripture says. I mean, there's timings and those are essential. And I think they're there even though we may not see them at all. So have have faith in yourself still. Um, I know it's it, it may be small. Um, you know, faith of a mustard seed would, would move a mountain if you just have enough of it. And it doesn't take just such a small amount of faith in yourself and God and in the others that have faith in you. And you can move whatever mountain and get across whatever boundary that you may be coming to or facing that day. And take it a little by little even. You don't have to you know, look for a huge gain in one day. I mean, a little bit, every step, you know, one step and a journey of a thousand miles starts with that first step. So take it little by little um, and find your faith in those things. How did you cope when you would overhear things such as, oh, he can't do that, he's too sick, he's too weak? And I have a quote here from you in response to that that I just loved, and I'd like you to address that. And that is this, the size of the fight in the dog is what gets you there. So I know you addressed this already a little bit. Expound a little bit more on that. When I was 19 years old, uh, just after high school, I I got in the laborers union um, and just got out in the work you know the the work world. Uh, my dad was a laborer for all his life, and I had many family members that were in unions here, and uh, so I jumped in it. And being in a, a such a tough industry with construction, um, 
and I was uh, placed in many places that I probably should have put my place myself in. But the the amount of work those kind of things and those jobs take, you're surrounded by many people that's that's big guys. Um, to kind of give you an example of that question of where you know, oh, you're too sick, you're too ill. Well, all them years I worked construction just about, or at least three quarters of it. Uh, I done it with about half the amount of lung function anybody else did. And I sat around, you know, probably 50, 60 percent lung function. Um, nobody knew that, obviously, when I worked with them. But we would we would do these big, heavy jobs. And I done a lot of what's called refractory work. And the, the just the intensity of those jobs alone would put anybody down. Um, it, it, the heat of the summers uh, doesn't take nothing. Mm-hmm. Some of the places we are, they're, they're hot environments. They're, they're hard work. Um, and I give it to everybody and anybody that does those jobs sick or well. But uh, I worked for a guy named uh, Dave Goodman uh, as a uh, he was a foreman. And this individual was he, he was a friend of my cousins who was in a carpenters and, and they were grew up together. But I worked for him. And, you know, he told me one day, he said, if I had a crew and just half a crew that had just as much heart as you did. He said, "I would never ever need anybody else again to work with me," uh, and you know that 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 stuck with me. And, of course, and, uh, it, it was a, it was a comment that that I I greatly appreciated, and uh, just having heart in all those tough situations that you find yourself in, whether you're ill or not, um, get on your other part of the question about that with the keys, um, having heart. Um, I think having heart is a, a huge contributor to to keeping you going. Um, you know, the the go back to the sports reference. You know, you see so many people and some of the some of the best players and and things like that that you see. They have heart, and those that are, have challenges and of illness and and things like that nature, they you still have to have heart. Um, and, and, and that heart and that willpower, willpower is another one. Just, you know, somebody's going to say, yeah, you can't do it because you're too sick. You know, guess what? There's miracles every day that an individual does something that there's by all the data and statistics in the world that says you wouldn't be able to do that. It's been done. We have, there's, there's tons of stories out there you can read of um i mean just a um, example for this summer we've had the olympics going on look at all those para people that's going to be and doing things in the paralympics and the disabled people that are doing so many things that a regular individual is like there's no way i'd be able to do that I, that would kill me <laughs> I'd, I'd be on the sidelines dying uh, you know uh, just look at those inspirations the, the the heart of those individuals is immaculate there's that and and that's just excluding faith just the heart alone is another huge key part of an individual of what they can accomplish i like that that and as you were sharing that i was also thinking of how the adrenaline kicks in like in times of adversity in those times of adversity that brings a determination i am doing this you don't even think about the task you just think about i'm doing it and that that sounds exactly like what you are saying you know you're not allowing the extenuating circumstance to prevent you but rather to motivate you your determination came across so i sincerely appreciate that thank you now share a little bit about your memoir is it any sure. different than the story that you just shared or, or what's the thrust of it or whatever you'd like to share? Well, uh, some of it, uh, of what I've shared so far, it is 
uh, included in the memoir. It focuses a lot on the faith aspect, though. With, with my my memoir, Lifelong Turbulence, it's very uh, very it's a little more detailed. Um, it talks about uh, a lot of my growing ups. Um, you know, starting as a kid, we, you know, we dad worked construction, mom worked just a a, a food service job at a place locally, and. <clears throat> um, uh, it goes into details about other aspects of my life with uh, not just my illnesses, with things family have faced, with uh, with some of um, – <clears throat> it goes into addiction issues that's come up. It goes into uh, some of the health of my mother who has you know, had a hard time <clears throat> since she's been diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis years ago. Um, so you know she's faced her own – adversity and still faces them now and and what's uh part of that story is in there and and talks just more in depth about those things it talks a little bit about not being able to be in a drug trial that uh i hoped so so much for that i mean that i prayed for but i i was not able to find that and the the potential benefit from that and and also kind of the consequences of it so to speak uh, of what not not being able to do those things so it, it goes really in-depth, but a big part of it, what I want anybody to get out of is to know, uh, like as you mentioned before about me, my kind of motto with the never let your obstacles become boundaries. Uh, there's one of my favorite in the, in the in the beginning of my book, in the introduction part where I quote, it's a quote from Helen Keller that says, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming of it. Uh-huh. And that's it's one of my favorites uh, that I, I included in there because it highlights so much of illnesses, of the tribulations, of the turbulence, of you know the adversities that that we all go through. I mean, there are all so many different levels. Right. Uh, right. But knowing at the at the end of the book, turn that last page, knowing that there's inspiration, that there's inspiration, there's faith, and all those things that we've discussed, and and. In those moments where you find yourself in that, that don't lose hope. Uh, as your podcast is named, never ever give up hope, and I love that name because it's it's so true. It is. Um, it, it's it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful naming of such a of, of such a small thing that 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 can make such a big benefit in our lives. Well, I thank you for that. And we are going to take a very short 30-second break. And when we come back, I want to talk about your other book. And I find this title very interesting, The Best of Disease and Simple Ways to Improve. So we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never Ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Well, it has certainly been encouraging to hear someone who has been through so much have a phenomenal attitude and outlook 
And that's what gives us inspiration. That's what this is all about. That's what never ever giving up hope is. It's easy not to give up hope if you don't need it. <laughs> but when you are in a position where you really need to hang on to that hope, even if sometimes there's only a thread, and you are definitely someone who has done that. And I thank you for what you have shared. So tell us a little bit about your book, The Best of Disease and Simple Ways to Improve. You know, that book started out as not even thinking about being a book. I mean, it's relatively short, but it started out as me um, kind of starting up a little bit of a, I guess you could call it a coping mechanism. Um, because at that point when I started writing that, I was, uh, CF has started to take away just about everything away from me, um, from being able to work full time. Uh, it's just being able to feel like I, I had a life each day other than meds and treatments. Uh, uh, so I started just writing things, and, and I've always been a big advocate and love science. And uh, I was uh, going to school at uh, Oakland City University, which is a Christian um, university here, uh, not too far from uh, southern Indiana where I live at here in Evansville. But uh, I was going to school there, but uh, at that point, it had even taken me, taken my ability away to do that because I had uh, deteriorated in my lungs so bad I was uh, around hovering around thirty percent uh, lung oh function goodness. mark, um, uh, which is my F, what was what was my FEV one about that time. So um, I was on oxygen full time. Uh, I was on on antibiotics more in the home IVs more than I was off. Uh, so. I just started writing one day, and I, I would read my Bible regularly, and I just kind of felt like uh, – I really did. I felt like I, I had a, a calling to tell me, hey, write this. I, did I think I was going to – did I start writing it for a book? No. Uh, it was just – I started out a lot of – these are things in my head I think of. Just put them to paper, and I started incorporating – and when I would talk about a subject in that book, uh, about um, any of it, like I talk about the CRISPR DNA technology that has the ability to uh, – with the gene editing, to that that would essentially get rid of cystic fibrosis across the board. Gene editing and, and the, the CRISPR technology mm. and even some of the further – that would – delete those genetic mutations or correct them rather and some of the medications that are out now that was part of that one of them that was part of that drug trial I was unable to get into was a medication that corrects that mutation at the genetic level for the patient and the amount of the amount of uh, increase uh, in health and 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 help that that medication has provided itself is astronomical uh, clinic from I'd go to IU you know all the time at Indiana uh, University Hospital where CF clinic is um, I drive three to four hours there for an appointment um, and uh, drive back home if I was lucky enough to come back home but that's where I was going for that trial and those medications on that that I was trying to get have made huge differences in the life and it's not and it's only because of uh, science and, and things like like genetic um, and 
CRISPR technology that's uh, allowed those kind of things to happen. Now, CRISPR would essentially connect the gene on the genetic level to where you wouldn't take really a medication, but it would all be about a delivery method. But that book just talks about like things like that. And, and all that started out as well. I love gene technology because of its relevance to myself, because maybe somewhere inside me, I was, I, you know, I hoped, you know, I hoped and prayed maybe I can get cured from this and I can feel like I might live a normal life. But that book started out as just kind of a, a coping mechanism of putting my thoughts to paper and, 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 with with all the scripture and things that that I thought that were very relevant to the topics that were in my head that I was writing down each time and each day that I started it and I thought well I feel like these things can still um, somehow maybe help uh, an individual out there that uh, it, it it has that ability to incorporate scripture where somebody's losing faith that that may have been in that same position where I was at that was just deteriorating uh, there were still many that wouldn't qualify for any of the uh, CF modulators for the medications um, so for those like I, I I felt horrible about and for because I was one of those as well I, I didn't have the ability to start taking that thing uh, those those medications so uh, there was a patient in Whenever I was hospitalized for a two weeks uh, stretch for another set of antibiotics one day, and uh, it, I just decided to go through Christian faith um, and publish my book and um, do self-publisher. And he was up there, you know, he was kind of struggling and talking to me, and he had found out by through one of the other nurses about me um, publishing that book. And he's like, I heard you publish a book. And he just kind of talked to me a little bit. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, uh, I'm going to get it. And he asked me what the name was and where he could get it. And he got it and he, he thanked me for a while. Um, and we're still friends. And, uh, he, he thanked me for, you know, just having the ability to just to be able to help encourage him that. And I said that whenever I decided to do that book, that book, if it helps one person, I feel like successful. I don't care if I That's sold right. zero copies. Right. I, 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 I was never in it to become become rich because uh, that's not why I've done anything or wrote anything. It was because of the, the ability to, and, and I felt like through my uh, thoughts and things I was going through and, and anything that I could write down and somebody read and say, you know what? this inspired me to be able to keep going or something of that nature that made it a success for me no matter what I totally can relate to that and I remember when I wrote my memoir I said the same thing and you know in your heart of course you want to be able to reach many because you have <laughs> a message that you want to reach many but also yes. at the same time you know that if you reach that one and it's exciting when you do reach that one and then it's more and then it's more yes and yes. it grows and this show actually so this show is a result of my memoir so this uh, you know you never know where the first step that you take is going to lead and so i thank you for sharing that is there anything else yes, that you would like in conclusion to share i would like to let everyone know um i never thought ever i'd write anything i mean when i was a teenager uh, i you'd be lucky to get me to read a book I, I, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't read anything or care to read much about until i was probably in my you know um, mid-20s honestly and it just was not my thing um uh, other than you know the bible and stuff and, and i even then i didn't de dive deep into that and, and try to um, understand what the what the Lord had planned for me I just kind of just like well I'm here and I I'm 
have to deal with what I am, um, what I was born with. But it, it's not just that. Um, these times with my memoir, uh, those it just kind of kept me going, uh, just writing. And, and like you said, with the reaching one person, yeah, you, you feel like you have that passion in your story of what you've what you feel so passionate about because you know what you're going through and, and 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 your example that you can set for others by what you're going through can help somebody else you have that passion and, and if you can't reach a thousand a million people okay no big deal because what did god say he would leave the 99 to go find and get to back to one right so um <laughs> he, he does that so it's not about always the 99 it's about that one individual because one individual can make a difference of millions of others so that's right if we focus on that one individual and not worry so much about the the, the breaching the millions or thousands of others not that we wouldn't if we had the chance yeah we we want to if we can go speak to a crowd and of a million people and make a million different lives uh, better by our story and our and, and our adversity of course we would but that one though may be able to make a bigger impact on more people than what you may be able to so that that 99 and going for the one that remembering that that one individual is not left out no matter what well you just preached a short sermon there paul <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I'm, I, I hope that that what I've um, gone through, what I've wrote in my memoir, what I wrote in my first book, uh, inspires more. Uh, if it inspires one more, then hey, that's one more on top of the other one, and that's two. So hey, there we go. We're at two. What an so. excellent attitude! Thank you. That's awesome. Well, it has been great hearing your story, hearing it from a perspective that possibly we got better than just reading your book but I also want to encourage uh, those who are listening to read your book to read both of your books and to support you and I just thank you that you are a person who has never given up hope you are the poster boy for you know for that I that is awesome I appreciate you mentioning that and to the audience again Remember, never, ever give up hope. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.